1: Well, welcome back as we head into our third hour. As Nat King Cole might have said, straighten up and fly right. Straighten up because we have my old professor, my longtime friend, Charles Kessler, with us, fly right, because that's the direction he teaches us in, where, in, which, in which to go. Charles is the editor at the Claremont Review of Books, a professor at Claremont McKenna College, author of probably one of the most important books in the last two decades on understanding really everything about politics in America, Christ of the two constitutions, the rise, decline, and recovery of American
2: greatness. Teacher, how are you, sir? I'm fine. Uh, that's uh, you, It sounds like... Uh you've you've
1: done two hours already and are full of energy still. That's great. Well, I just know uh, when I'm talking to you I do have to straighten up and uh, get ready to fly right. (laughs) Absolutely. Well,
2: yeah. My hands are
1: folded and I have my pen and paper in hand. Uh, The issue um, or the the occasion of our interview is the new issue, to announce the new issue of the Claremont Review of Books, the smartest quarterly, the smartest magazine uh, that comes out, just came out and uh, that is the winter uh 2022 2023 issue uh with all kinds of great contributors from of course uh Bill Vogley to Diana Schaub, Chris Caldwell, Michael Anton and Mark Helper and have a back and forth Conrad Black. Folks, you can get this at claremont.org or claremontreviewofbooks.com. Congratulations, Charles. Does always feel a little bit uh like a relief once uh, once this thing gets out the door. <laughs>
2: It always feels very much like a release. <laughs> yes, <laughs> but thank you. I appreciate that. Do you
1: guys do agonies after after they're published? Do you guys do uh, have meetings after the issue comes to, comes out, and
0: kind well, of...
2: we uh, we used to do them regularly. We we do them episodically now, but not regularly. But perhaps we should. We we could be better.
0: Yeah,
1: bring me in. I'd love to sit around and talk with you and be on a fly on that wall, if if, if that if that would be tolerable as an outside of as oh, an out, out, as an outside improve, fan so. <laughs> who brings. Good.
2: To, oh, wait, I'm sorry. We don't want to hear from our audience. Did I give you the wrong impression. <laughs> I'm very sorry.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah, but no one has more agony than me. So, I, yeah, well,
2: well, <laughs> uh, well, okay. In that case, you're superbly qualified. Yeah.
1: I am highly qualified. You wrote the introductory essay, as you always do, uh, and this has been something I've been talking a lot about on the show. It's I'm so glad you did this. Two new rights do not make a wrong. Today's new right can learn something from yesterday's new conservatives. Let me back into this crudely, if I might, Charles, because what I have been seeing and noticing— is amongst many iterations of uh the new right, uh as, as it might be considered, whether it's national conservatism where I see it or tend to see it the most. There seems to be this odd thing about this odd thing about, well, we're not about Reaganism anymore, or Reagan has uh served its purpose and is no longer relevant anymore, variations on that kind of theme. And and it's 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 got a lot of shadows and shades to it. And I guess that's a little bit of what you're picking up in this essay uh, that you wrote yourself, if you're, if you're hearing what I'm putting down.
2: Yes, it's, uh, I mean, it's a mini sort of thing, I suppose. There are many parts to the, um, new Right, and they don't all, and, and to add confusion to things, they don't all call themselves the new Right. That's right. Uh, <laughs> and there is, uh, there's also the big question of, uh, the relation between Trump and the new right, correct? Uh, between you know the MAGA right and uh, and the new right, and and so it's um, I, I I was trying to bring at least a little uh, a little uh, illumination to this by clearing up just the sort of uh, beginning question, which is what what is the new right or what what's different about the new right. From the old right. And I'm not sure I got to the bottom of it, but I think I began, I made a little progress at least.
1: It has been my thesis for some years since approximately January of 2017 to kind of see that variations of what might have been called the modern conservative movement or the new right in the 50s and 60s and what uh, the Trump movement stood for really weren't that different. Different In a lot of respects, if you look, for example, a lot of different touchstones one could go to. um, But if you look, for example, at the 1955 initial credenda of the National Review magazine and what, what the convictions were, I mean, yes, you would have to update a few things. So it might not have been communism or Soviet style communism then, but perhaps Chinese communism or radical Islam in 2017. But if you look at the uh, six or seven identifiable issues that Buckley, uh, William Buckley said he started the magazine, it just wasn't that different from from the kinds of things Donald Trump was talking about or theoretically was addressing to his supporters, the elites and uh, and, and the cultural menaces in America. I don't know if you agree with
2: that. Um, I think I do agree with that. I mean, the the uh, you know, you're it's it's rare in politics to. Uh, retire any issue, <laughs> uh-huh. right, <laughs> And, uh, right. and uh, when you when you're when you were conservatives in the 50s and 60s, uh, last of uh, the last of the last century, and you were fighting um, both communism abroad and you know a, a domestic version of of um, of socialist liberalism at home you didn't you didn't really expect to win <laughs> you know at least you didn't expect to win a clear-cut um, victory and so with the disappearance of the Soviet Union we we won something like a clear-cut victory on that huge issue which was um, you know uh, uh, behind all of the other issues in one way or another that uh, that Phil Buckley and Ronald Reagan set their sights on uh, in, in those years. And so, uh, in a way, the American conservative movement had uh, and a very rare opportunity in politics, which was to sort of start over again in its foreign policy. Mm-hmm. Um, and that is one of the oddities of, uh, of our time, I think, that, uh, that we are as confused as we are about foreign policy. Um, considering that we seem to have done <laughs> done pretty well at it, yeah. um, in practice, and uh, but I think the other, uh, you know, if you subtract communism, which is a big subtraction, yeah, uh, from the ledger sheet, then you still have all of the uh, the issues that, or many at least, of the issues that the economic yeah. conservatives uh, talked about for decades, and you have. Uh, even more so the cultural issues yeah. that uh, everyone gradually became more and more concerned about, um, and which uh, I think are probably the leading set of issues right now in, in terms of wokeness and the opposition to wokeness um, in our in our politics. So, yes, I, I think um, it's harder to make a case that the uh, at least I, I think that the old right or whatever we want to call the Buckley Reagan right is obsolete. I mean, I really think it's uh, um, the the more you know about it, the the less tempted one would be to conclude that it's obsolete.
1: I agree with um, that a hundred percent. I mean, I, I think you might have a genus and species issue, perhaps when you think about. I sometimes worry that Reaganism or Goldwaterism or Buckleyism sometimes becomes a vessel that the individual speaker or discussant wants to pour their own thoughts into and make it represent its own thing. But if you think – let's take on the cultural issues for a moment. If you think about the Reagan – uh, presidency, the election of 1980 and 1984. He was very strong on the cultural issues, Whether, but they were a little bit different then. I think it was affirmative action and abortion uh, that he was very strong on, even made Reagan Democrats out of peop- out of those themes. Um, and it, when you look at the Trump presidency, I mean, he, he perhaps completed some of that work with the ultimate appointment of judges that got rid of Roe versus Wade. But I I, I I can't possibly see how Reagan would not have been seen as a cultural warrior. Am I am I wrong on that?
2: No, uh, I mean it, uh, it, it. I mean I think it's true that that he had to he had to fight the Cold War at the same time, sure. so to speak, at the same time that he was fighting the uh, um, uh, you know the economic and the cultural uh, war, and that much of the Cold War was a cultural. Right. Um, I mean, we forget that it it sort of um, dawned on the scene as a as a real part of American politics with uh, uh, almost with McCarthy and with the concern about internal security. Yes. Uh, And that that was uh, that was the culture war of 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 the day in the early 1950s, that was the issue that um, uh, that seemed to underlie all the others and to raise the question whether we, uh, you know, uh, the, the American system uh, could continue uh, if it, in fact, had so many uh, quiz links um, secured in it, whether they were in the State Department or some other part. Um, of the federal government. And let me pa- let a- me
1: pause you right there. Let me take a quick okay. commercial break and pick up on
2: that. Charles Kessler and I'll be right back. Professor Charles Kessler is our guest. He is the
1: editor of the Claremont Review of Books, the brand new issue, which uh, is just out. You can access it at Claremont.org. He is the author of The Crisis of the Two Constitutions, talking about uh, variations on the theme of the new right and the old right, and if there is such a distinction. Charles, you were saying that McCarthyism kind of began the discussion uh, amongst, uh, I suppose, well, really both liberals and conservatives. It was such a touchstone uh, issue, the, uh, everything that was wrapped up in battling communism abroad as well as at home. And a lot did emanate from that. It became a series of cultural tests, including commitments and arguments about civil liberties, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, Irving Kristol's famous essay on that, I think, in Commentary magazine. Right. Yes. And yes. And, and so we started with, we, we, we certainly started with, with a McCarthyism, but that even today has its own analogs, doesn't it, with the Influences of neo-Marxist or Marxist thought here, uh, from you know whether we're talking about the BLM movement, the progressive movement, the woke movement. I mean, again, we still, I guess, as you put it, we we never really end any of these things. They just have different different angles, a different species to the problem of the genus that is given us. I suppose is how I'm. Yeah,
2: I I mean, when you when you think that um, the young Bill Buckley. the the Buckley who uh, published God, Man, at Yale in 1951, just out of college, uh, and he was delayed in going to college because of World War II, Mm -hmm. um, that Buckley, you know, Buckley was, um, um, when he was criticizing his professor at Yale, especially in economics and religion, he took those two fields as emblematic, but that was really, you could say, the, um, the beginning of McCarthyism. Okay. I mean, it was long before anyone had heard of McCarthy. Um, it was, uh, you know, it had nothing to do with, um, or it didn't have much to do at least, with internal security. But yet the, the cultural issue, that is, the soundness of American culture, American intellectual life in general, and whether you could trust the university mm-hmm. or not, mm-hmm. and what you could trust them, how far you could trust them, those are the issues he was working. And they were, they were basically, you know, there's one sort of um, more or less continuous uh, surge of interest in those issues, beginning um, with, uh, you know, Don Man at Yale or beginning with, You know the uh, the end of the the very end of the 1940s and the beginning of the 1950s, right up through you know 54 or so when McCarthy uh, is effectively felled, um, and National Review starting right in 1955. That was all sort of one one intellectual and cultural current, and uh, and the notion that the old conservatism was. Uh, sort of a high-bound libertarian and not really interested in winning in politics, uh, it, it seems to me very important to the actual experience of the people at the time.
1: Oh, amen. Amen. And and how did Ronald Reagan win the governorship in California, if I'm not mistaken, going after the protests at the universities was a very big part of that, a very large part of that as well, right? Cultural warrior. On
0: Yes,
2: that's right. <clears throat> that's right. And he... Uh, and, you know, Reagan, uh, uh, I don't think I, I I wrote something about this recently, but it wasn't in, wasn't in my own magazine. Uh-huh. But um, I think that, uh, you know, about Reagan, this fact uh, is not well known, which is that between his first uh, election as governor in 66 and his second in 70, he lost votes. Yeah. Um, <laughs> whereas uh, if you take... Governor DeSantis is kind of a, a Reagan equivalent, yeah, yeah. you might say, under contemporary circumstances. He gained, yeah. he gained uh-huh. almost basically, you know, a million and a half votes between the two elections, and uh, and turned his state or helped to turn his state into a very solid-looking red state now. But it does, uh, it does it,
1: yeah it, no that 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 is right and it does show you though the thread I think uh, that you're you're trying to weave here for for the old and the new conservative so called is the battles on the campuses that are taking place now whether Stanford last week or UC Davis today or I mean just any day of the week I mean yeah, yeah the template was laid by William Buckley's very first book it wasn't it
2: yes I mean we I must say that that. Um, We haven't had a lot of success changing America's (laughs) campuses, (laughs) but uh, but you know there are efforts underway, and Governor DeSantis is making some important ones. That's right in uh, in Florida, and I think the eyes of the country will be on those experiments in the next year or two.
1: Yes, that's right. I, and he's doing so by picking up, I think, the themes that Reagan laid down as governor in uh, 1967, right? I mean, this is this is where you would get the notion that the governor actually can do something about the trustees and regents on a public university, right? Kerr uh, yeah, out, Reagan no, wins, it, uh, was that great headline in 67, yeah?
2: You know, it, uh, it wasn't, you know, how many years ago was it? Eight years ago, roughly, uh, in 2016— um, seven years ago, uh, that uh, Scott Walker was running. That's in, right. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> the candidate. That's right. uh, and, and 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 you know he had survived some very fierce political battles. The labor in Wisconsin. Yeah, yeah. And uh, and had come out of them smelling like a rose, mm-hmm. uh, but uh, he utterly his 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 nascent campaign for president collapsed, and yeah. I think he was the first person to get out of the race. Yeah. Uh, Even though he was a very well-experienced, battle-hardened, you know, uh, Republican governor, but uh, I don't think that we should expect the same thing to happen to Governor DeSantis. However,
1: no, it's a different. There's a different feel to it. Uh, There's a different momentum to it, and there's a different seemingly um, level of a different level of support, which kind of gets to this other. Thing that's hard to put our finger on in the divisions within the conservative movement, whether they're today or comparing themselves today against yesteryear. You mentioned foreign policy in the first segment, and right. and that's such a head scratcher to me. Um, everywhere I, I turn, I hear you know complaints about neocons and, 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 and neocon uh, foreign policy, and that Trump and MAGA stands against it, Um, I I, I don't know that his presidency and foreign policy was all that different from what a, you know, from from what a Ronald Reagan presidency looked like. I mean, (laughs) <laughs> what movement would 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 bomb Syria twice? What movement would kill Soleimani? What movement would push the embassy from Tel Aviv to Jerusalem and create the Abraham Accords? What, where, what, where would you identify that political foreign policy movement? Where would that categorize itself?
2: Yeah, I, I mean, you. I mean, you could say something that they do have in common: Reagan and Trump is that. Neither one started a, a new land war. Yes, in the Middle East, right, <laughs> uh, let, which let, uh, let, you know uh, uh, is very creditable to. Or or in, or
1: in Europe or anywhere else. Let me let me pick up on that on the foreign policy issue when we come right back. Yeah. Uh, take a quick commercial break. Charles Kessler is. Our guest, his essay, Endlessly um, Important and Really Important as we kind of try and get our hands around defining what this thing is, conservatism, Two New Rights Do Not Make a Wrong. Charles and I will be right back. Welcome back to The Seth Liebson Show. Charles Kessler is our guest. He is the editor at the Claremont Review of Books, professor at Claremont McKenna College, author of several books, uh, most recently Crisis of the Two Constitutions, The Rise, Decline, and Recovery of American Greatness. If you read any book published in the last 20 years on anything having to do with politics or theory, that's the book you want. We're talking about his essay in the brand-new Claremont Review of Books, just out, Two New Rights Do Not Make a Wrong. The foreign policy thing is interesting to me, uh, Charles, Um, and I wonder if there's a difference between what some of these candidates are saying and what their supporters may think they're saying. Tucker Carlson did this. I'm not sure if you were following this kind of – questionnaire of the various candidates on their position on Russia vis-a-vis Ukraine and I'm going to guess that most Trump supporters would think that he is uh, not very hawkish on the issue uh, for lack of a better word Uh, but when you look at all the answers interestingly enough DeSantis seems to have the more dovish or uh, what's the position what's the word I want that doesn't come off pejoratively more isolationist <laughs> <laughs> position than Donald Trump. When you look at their answers, Donald Trump seems to be a little bit more hawkish than I think most of his supporters think he is. And DeSantis seems to have a position that I think Trump supporters uh, would more agree with, but they want Trump, not DeSantis. I, the, the, it, there's a cross current yeah. here that doesn't make a lot of sense to me.
2: Yes. I don't know. I mean, uh, that's the one uh, I think, uh, uh, major question I, I have looking at looking at this. I mean, Governor DeSantis' statement, uh, which was uh, dovish, I guess you could yeah, say. Yeah, let's it. keep it um, there, sure. It was, uh, you know, was the one uh, uh, potential uh, false step from a Reagan, Reagan-esque point of view mm-hmm. um, looking at these things. I mean, it's too early to tell because I'm not really sure, you know, where he's going um, with the uh, with the paragraphs that begins by by being dovish, yeah. but may end up somewhere else. Yes,
1: right. There's uh, a lot of wiggle but we'll room. We'll see. Sure. Um, it,
2: it's uh, it's a tough question because um, um, it's, it it seems to be uh, strikingly true that 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 Ukraine. The independence of Ukraine is uh, is not worth fighting a world war over for the United States. But on the other hand, it's not in our interest either to to just let Russia, um, you know, absorb it at will and and spit it out again afterwards. Um, That's uh, you know, that's that's dangerous. uh, And it's uh, it can it could become habitual um and thus uh, threaten other nations as well and it's and so it's um, uh, it it seems to me that the uh, um, we should resist uh, Pat's conclusions uh, about what to do over there I mean I think it's um, um it, it's probably got to be ultimately settled by negotiations but how how you Neither side wants to negotiate. That's right. That's right. <laughs> you know, it's rather—it's going to be rather difficult.
1: <laughs> no, no I, think, I think that's right, and I think it's going to be rather difficult for the factions, the two factions, uh, to have much clarity on this issue if the two factions are the Trump factions and the DeSantis factions, uh, as I'm yeah. kind of reading it, because DeSantis seems to be giving voice to what I think, people think Trump stands for. And Trump seems to be giving voice to something a bit more muscular than what I think his supporters stand for. It's just it's a it's a little bit of an oddly musical chair. But you're right. They both say enough that will give them enough wiggle room uh, uh, when when people start to pay more attention to this as as the primaries come. I have um, I have one more segment. uh, If you can stay with me on this, uh, Charles, that we can do on the other side of the break because if 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 you would i'd 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 love for you to maybe talk a little bit about the kind of work you've done uh in 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 defining conservatism from an American point of view the kind of stuff you've been writing in National Review since 1979 and what you wrote in Keeping the Tablets and of course The Crisis of the Two Constitutions given that people say America has never been more divided in their lifetime and I'm wondering if the conservative movement isn't hasn't also been as divided as it has been in my lifetime, and maybe you could speak to that when we come back. Is that okay? Yeah. Charles Kessler is our guest. He is the editor at the Claremont Review of Books, uh, important reading, and of course the uh, uh, Dengler a distinguished professor of government at Claremont. McKenna College, his uh, book, Crisis of the Two Constitutions, The Rise, Decline, and Recovery of American Greatness, is must-reading, as is the Claremont Review of Books. He and I will be right back. Welcome back to the Seth Leapson show. Professor Charles Kessler has been our guest. He is the editor of the Claremont Review of Books. Its brand new issue, the Winter 2022-23 issue just out, his introductory essay Two New Rights Do Not Make a Wrong. Charles, people who complain about the divide in American politics, America being more divided than they can remember in their lifetimes. I'm wondering if the conservative movement isn't also if that isn't also true of the conservative movement. Um, From the perch I sit in uh, with radio and and engaging with listeners, I I, I tend to see some of that. You see some of it in our primary battles. I don't know what your view of that uh, complaint is, if it has um, weight or carries water. And more importantly, if there is something to it, the thesis you've been writing about conservatism since about 1979 forward Seems to me the answer to it all. Seems to me the, the re the, the, the resolution to it, the the way you see conservatism and um based in American principles. I wonder if you might just talk a little bit about all that,
2: if that makes sense. Um well well thank you. I mean you you know, you it's uh, it's embarrassing to be on with you because you you Seth know my my resume as well as I do. <laughs> <laughs>
1: It's embarrassing to have you on because you know my biography better than most do, Charles. <laughs> you remember the long hair and Birkenstocks.
2: <laughs> no, yeah, I mean, I it's um it, it's uh it's interesting to me because um, I'm not sure, you know, when we're talking about our impressions of division within the conservative movement or within the Republican party. um, There's obviously something there. I mean, there, there are people who are, who are um, making these arguments, who are complaining about being mistreated uh, or not being understood. And that is, uh, you know, that's the quality evidence that there is a misunderstanding. On the other hand, the you know what is the coefficient attached to um, the dissidents? Let's say I mean okay. how many people? What what fraction of uh, young conservatives find themselves um, as disgruntled as uh, uh, as some of the uh, um, uh, people who worked in the Trump administration were once disgruntled, uh, and uh, and others. Still younger mm-hmm. than they uh, uh, are, apparently also disgruntled. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a, it's a, it's it's a little hard to be certain about that, but yeah. I do think that that um, there is uh, um, a lot of discontent among young conservatives, and uh, I, I'm talking not just about those who spend too much time in front of the internet, mm-hmm. <laughs> although. <laughs> That there, there are quite a few who, who would fit that description. Mm-hmm. Um, I think, but they have. Uh, I make this argument um, in the in the piece you're referring to. But there, there's a sense in which uh, a lot of young conservatives today have grown up in a country that is, um, to them at least, very unlovely. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, Burke said this. This is a bad paraphrase, but uh, for a country to be loved, it must be lovely. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, uh, and there are a lot of young conservative males in particular who don't think this is a very lovely country mm-hmm. anymore. Mm-hmm. And they have a lot of evidence on their side. I mean, they've grown up in a, in a much coarser um, culture, uh, you know, in, in the last 20 uh, years. Um, there is, uh, you know, internet pornography, omnipresence. Mm-hmm. uh essentially 24/7 uh always available it's sort of the muzak mm-hmm. uh of of that generation mm-hmm. uh there's also just a lot of um, uh hostility they have felt uh criticisms of of white males criticism of american history of american heroes um, they have they have felt a kind of persistent um um, well, oppression would be too strong, perhaps, mm-hmm. but something like a, uh, an ideological adversion uh, 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 to them, and uh, uh, they have uh, registered that fact. Mm-hmm. And I think that a lot of what um, we're seeing is a, is a young people who are in revolt against their own culture, mm-hmm. as, it, as it were. And, and admittedly their their culture is not as healthy as it was 20 or 40 years ago say at the beginning or you know 50 years ago at the beginning of the conservative movement mm-hmm. there was there was in a way uh, more cause for optimism at least in certain respects in America than than now so uh, that that I understand and those have created a, those facts have created a sort of uh fostering um, sense of um, uh, uh, discontent as I say which it's going to be very hard to work through and I think it 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 has to be in a way um, confronted uh, you know we can't you, you can't just continue to um, run and hide from the Schools authorities, <laughs> you, you you have to you have to sort of take some kind of action uh, to reform education, to rein in um, uh, uh, cultural lasciviousness, and to do a number of other things, which would help to make the country a lovelier country again. Um, and uh, and you know it, it's always difficult to talk about um, reforming American culture. In the abstract, but it isn't. It doesn't seem to me it's so hard to, to go about trying to improve particular institutions, whether they're universities uh, or uh, you know uh, 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 mediums like uh, radio or or uh, or television or even you know video games.
1: What What about elementary uh, and secondary exactly. education too? Perhaps. Yes.
2: Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Uh, there's a, there's a lot to be done, and, and still uh, a lot to be done, and it's 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 only really um, begun. But it is hardening, I think, to see parents become a uh, politically active uh, in a new way and in a more serious way than uh, than they may ever have done before.
1: That's right, and at the localist of levels where it turns out not only did our constitution inform us we should act but where it turns out these battles uh, that the left has foisted on us or i suppose these these traducements the left has foisted on us really do take place which is in this elementary and school elementary and secondary school board meetings isn't it uh, isn't it interesting we finally woke up to that after what you may say is 50 years. Perhaps this is the end of the beginning, Charles, Uh, to quote Churchill. I want to thank you always for your friendship, your time, your scholarship, uh, Charles Kessler, and uh, your great uh, publication, The Claremont Review of Books. You are not only my teacher, uh, I wish you be America's teacher. Thank you for everything, Charles. Thank
2: you very much, Seth. Always delightful to talk to you.
1: We'll be in touch soon. I'm Seth Liebsen. Be right back. You've all probably been hearing me talk about why refi for a while now, and if you still have some questions about what it could mean for you to invest with them, they would love for you to reach out to them, and they will happily put you in touch with any number of their many satisfied clients and customers in the Phoenix area who have been investing with them and doing quite well. They'd like me to ask you how your IRA is doing, and would you like your IRA to be earning strong fixed interest rates and not be dependent on the Fed or the stock market or Joe Biden's economy writ large? You can invest with YReFi through an IRA or other qualified funds, and you can keep your investment, including the high fixed interest rates you earn, tax-deferred. That's right. Your money can stay in your IRA, and you don't have to pay taxes on the income you earn. Check them out at investyrefi.com. That's invest the letter Y R E F Y dot com, or give them a call at eight 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 y refi thirty four. Defining this thing called conservatism uh, is um, is is endlessly fascinating to me, and and you know it, it, it's not it's not just a problem and a struggle. For uh, amateurs like myself, I often like to remind that the father of the modern conservative movement, William Buckley, probably the most pro- prolific writer on conservatism, never wrote a book on conservatism. He put a book of essays together, actually with Charles Kessler, called Keeping the Tablets, of others who wrote on what conservatism should be, but he never wrote a book on what conservatism should mean because it is too darn hard. He did write a book on liberalism, up from liberalism, interestingly enough. Not so hard to understand the mind of the left. The mind that defines, the national mind that defines conservatism, it seems to me uh, the project that the Claremont Institute and Charles Kessler and Harry Jaffa uh, before him uh, set to uh, address is to figure out how to combine a society and a movement dedicated to both virtue and reason that inform our liberty and our liberties that are grounded in the equality of man properly understood. If you think about policy that way, if you think about political philosophy that way, virtue and reason informing liberty, liberty informing equality you find yourself looking at a political philosophy that is uniquely american going back to the founding you can find it of course in the declaration of independence you can find it in the federalist society excuse me in the federalist papers james madison and hamilton and jay in the federalist papers that's where you find it and it turns out if you look at it with a right mind and you look at it through the prism of virtue and reason, and you look at us as a perhaps a culture of virtue and an economics of liberty, maybe it's not so hard and we're not so desperately split apart in our movement as it may otherwise seem. We can talk about this onward and forever, and we probably will. I'd like to. But for now, until tomorrow, David Dahl, thank you, sir. Well done at the helm of the production. Bench. I'm Seth Liebson. God bless you all. Class is dismissed.
0: Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells.